there are many who never explain away mysterious household events with the words unstable molecules. There are men who can hear things referred to as the incredible without ever thinking Hulk. And then there's Doug Bost and Adam Bernstein, two men who should have better things to do but aren't doing them right now. These are two grown-ass men. Grown-ass man. With special guest grown-ass man, Sam Mastandrea. Welcome to Grown-Ass Men. This episode is all about music, and as long as we were on that topic, we included three quick extra questions that are very important, and by that I mean not very important at all, but fun. You'll get our answers to those questions later in this episode, but we opened it up to some friends of the show, too. What is your greatest guilty pleasure song? You mean that I would be sort of, if, if I were yelling it in the streets and somebody were to chance upon me that I knew, I would feel embarrassed that I was singing the song at the top of my lungs. Is that what you mean? Yes, thank you for defining a guilty pleasure song. <laughs> I love that song. I had a feeling on a summer day when you were gone. I, uh, I love it. It's, I think it's called I Love It. I don't even know if it's like a guilty pleasure, but it's my favorite song. It's got to be Everlong by the Foo Fighters. Uh, Talk Too Much by I Have No Idea Who. I'm going to go with The Winner Takes It All by ABBA. I, I pretty much like Barry Manilow. And tell me when will our eyes meet? Here's my second question. Can you tell me a song that makes you feel cool when you hear it? Thunderstruck, ACDC. Can I Kick It by Tribe Called Quest? Because I, I love the way it uses the uh, guitar and bass hook from Lou Reed's Walk on the Wild Side. Uh, I just love the groove of it, and it makes me feel cool. I Don't Fuck With You by Big Sean. A Perfect Circle. I think it's Judith. You know that I'd walk a thousand miles? Oh, yeah. I would walk 5,000 miles. That's yeah. the Proclaimers, right? Oh, my God. All right, last question. Is there any song by Hall & Oates that you 100% love? And if so, what is that song? This is actually pretty tough because I love a lot of songs by Hall & Oates. Well, I think Rich Girl is my favorite. I love Rich Girl. I really do like Rich Girl. I just think it's a great melody. I can't go for that, no can do. My fiancé, one time when we were driving around late at night trying to find food, she put on this song and she was like, this song reminds me of you. And um, I think it's a Hollow Notes song. I don't remember what it's called. Oh, how can you not? You're going to marry this woman, right? I know. Yeah. You got to know that song. I have to know the song. Um, it's. You make my dreams come true. Yes. Thank you. Is that the name of the song? I like Sarah Smile too. I got no, I got no hate for Hollow Notes. We'll get back to these three vital questions in a bit, but right now, the convincing. The convincing! Let it begin, let it begin, let it begin. The convincing. Let it begin, let it begin, let it begin. The convincing, you know just what I want. I 
to convince each other about something musical. But I'm going to interrupt right away from before that. I don't even have to convince you that we lost one of the greatest anchors in the history of comic books. And like, even though it happened like a month ago, whatever, I've been just like thinking about it because I have also seen a lot of Fantastic Four covers recently. And... Come on, Joe Sinnott is basically Sinnott. responsible for the the look of the Fantastic Four as much as Jack Kirby is. He kept it looking like it should look all the way through when other people took over. When Buscema took over, yeah, the thing still looked like the thing because of Joe Sinnott. Yeah, I just thought that was a huge, huge loss. And, uh, you know, a lot of those guys really are... You know, they're up there now and they're leaving the planet. And uh, I know I felt like he really deserved the shout out because he really, he's part of so many classic books. Absolutely. You know, so I just wanted to put that out there. Was he ever a penciler? Not, I think a little bit at the beginning, but not much. I think his thing was really inking. Yeah, raise a glass to Joseph. Oh. <laughs> Raising a glass. So the history of the convincing is, Sam, in case you uh, don't know, is that we try to convince each other of, uh, you know, some kind of comic book to read and why the other person should like it. But we never have to work hard at it. <laughs> we always agree instantly that, like, yeah, I want to read that. That's cool. <laughs> so, like, our convincings are are just on the boring side, but it's still a fun thing to do. Yeah, I, I was wondering if I needed to bring in something much more challenging, you know, something that you guys would possibly hate, and then try and like. I think I think that's it. great. I, I'm all for it. Present a, a you know a better case, uh, but. I, I, I think we all share a lot of the same prejudices and, and uh, affections. So yep. it was hard to find something that I thought that you guys would, that I love that you guys would absolutely detest. Who wants to go first here for, to convince the other, the other two? Well, Sam, I think you should go first. Yeah, go first, Sam. Well, um, I guess the, the reason I, I picked out the Sign of the Times album is I, find, I do find a lot of like, musician friends and or hip kind of friends are, are down with it but um that album firstly is like nothing short of a of a like a bible for me yeah and i kind of feel like it's a it's like a roadmap of all the exotic places that that prince's music can take you and for me personally it's one of the like three or four double albums that are really like greatly influenced me as a musician the other the other two being uh, exile on main street 
and uh, Physical Graffiti from Zeppelin. Mm. And I think even and even those albums are the same thing. They're very kind of, they have a, a kind of wide uh, variety of stuff on them. Um, so yeah, like over the years, I've had a lot of friends who I'm like, hey, you know, you're a Prince fan? They're like, yeah, I love Purple Rain. I love 1999. But he kind of, you know, lost me toward the end of the 80s and whatever. And um, like, I, I don't really, I don't really love Sign of the Times. And then to those people, I usually say, look, you know, like, Meet me after class, 305 at the flagpole, you know, <laughs> and I'm just going to have to whoop your ass, you know, <laughs> and, and I'll be the guy wearing the eyeliner and like, you know, some purple velvet pants for my hair bandages. So it'll be, it'll be even more, you know, more of a, uh, an embarrassment. So, um, but anyway, so, but, but for today, I'm just going to do the verbal convincing. What's your goal to, con is your goal to convince us that it's the best Prince album? Yeah, I could argue we say that and I, I feel like the reason this album is badass is that to, in my mind and the way I kind of see it it's kind of like uh, modern day like James Brown's like live at the Apollo meets the Beatles Sgt. Pepper it's got all these beautiful colors um, energy and like all this soul on that album that's really really just I think that a lot the reason I think that a lot of people kind of got lost is it's like if you were kind of suffering from like being terminally white bread, I feel like that the album might lose you, you know, because mm. it doesn't have as much like big guitar. It's, it's not, it's a lot less um, of his like guitar rock, new wave hybrid in the early, from the early eighties. And it's like a much deeper dive into sort of R and B and funk and soul. And this is one of the albums like many others, but he plays all the instruments on it. There's some guest people singing and playing on it, but it's mostly him. And one of the things I remember hearing him say about working that way, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, was uh, Prince would say, look, if I'm trying to record a song and it's like a sexy tune, you know, and I'm playing and I'm trying to put like all the sexiness into the guitar and the vocal, but my bass player is thinking about getting a cheeseburger. He's like, I'm going to have a song that's like, part, you know, part sexy, part cheeseburger. You know what I mean? So when Prince said he, like, when he played all the instruments, they would, you know, get kind of homogenized. So whatever the theme was of it, that permeated, like, every instrument in the song, you know? And I feel like on this album, that's really, because especially because it's him playing everything, I feel like that's where he really, really kind of nails it down. And, and you, you, you can just feel it and hear it on all the tracks. One thing I love about the sign of the times is how he goes back and forth between being incredibly horny and just being like a, a loving, sensitive husband or boyfriend or whatever. Like you go directly from slow love to hot thing and yeah. forever in my life. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, one of my favorites on there because it's, there's so much going on harmonically is uh ballad of Dorothy Parker. Oh, yeah. Just that groove, and, like, he quotes Joni Mitchell, and he jumps in and out of the quote, you know, from her. And uh, yeah. it's, like, it's really interesting. And, like, as a musician, you listen to it, you go, oh, I hear what he's doing there. And then maybe to the average person, it's a little more confusing. I don't, I don't know. But um, that's on there. What else? Um, ba -ba -bum. The Cross is on there. It's on there. Cross, great one. Love The Cross. I, I love If I Was Your Girlfriend. Yeah, and uh, if I was your girlfriend, originally it was like part of a suite of songs he was going to do with a like under a student, like a woman's pseudonym, like so he was yeah. going to be Camille, 
and that was one of the songs that he was going to do like a whole album of like songs from like a female perspective and singing in the falsetto or strange relationship i love it there's a beautiful suite where it goes from if i was your girlfriend to strange relationship to i could never take the place of your man like those three songs just that's one of those albums that really makes more sense when you listen to it from start to finish yeah almost when you had it on a cd it was almost better like i had it on vinyl as a kid and you'd have to like flip it you know uh over and over to get through it but when you could kind of hear it um all play through i think it, it even has more impact because you kind of hear it go from shift gears you know throughout the album yeah. i always thought strange relationship always reminded me of mccartney I don't know if other people think that, but for some reason, that really reminded me of him. Uh -huh. And at the, at the time, I, I mean, I think my favorite initially was Housequake. I just thought that was so badass. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, boom. What was that? Aftershock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really, what is the album right before that one? I think it was Love Sex. Sexy, I think. I think Love Sexy was after. Or is Love Sexy after? Uh, then it's the, maybe it's Under the Cherry Moon? Maybe. Yeah. That sounds right. It's a real departure, I think, for him. Not a departure for who he was, but at least for what he was putting out. I think it is a real extension of where if Sly had actually kept it together, you know, like where he would have went. Because, like, and I'm not talking about uh, fresh, but I'm talking about, you know, like Riot going on, Sly, that period, that album. Like, Sly is, was so amazing at taking every influence and just go, yeah. and putting it through his own filter. And it was so incredibly, you know, accessible to everybody. You know, Nina Simone does a, a cover of Sign of the Times? No, really. Who does? Nina Simone. Nina wow. Simone does? Yeah. Wow, I got to check that out. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I must say, when, when you put that up there, I was like, man, I don't need to be convinced about Star Richard Coffee. Though I just listened to it right before we went on loud because I haven't heard it in, in a while. And I was struck by the sound of it. It has that backwards, uh, the backward drum, yeah. the whole time. I mean, it's very unusual sound. Yeah, it's great. So great. Great. All right. So I'm totally convinced. I was convinced <laughs> walking in that Sign of the Times is the best Prince album. 80, 1987, man. That's a freaking long time ago. Uh, convince us, Adam? Sure. Now, <laughs> my thing was, I was want the reason I sent you some classic Jefferson Airplane is that I felt that I needed to convince you that's the kind of band we need right now. Oh, interesting. In this period of what we're going through, COVID, political, bleh, the disgusting thing that we are in. And I, whenever I turn to the airplane, they have their juvenile moments for sure. 
but the airplane are unapologetically themselves political anti-establishment they don't care man they'll they play like on some rooftop crazy stuff i just saw this little clip of early airplane on american bandstand and, and like they're so irreverent with uh, dick clark you know that it's just like they're like we couldn't give a shit about being on dick clark right now <laughs> you know and, and like i just felt like i was longing for that kind of feeling in some music right now what specific so like when i was a kid growing up the, some of the late 60s generation of music like kind of felt like everybody's older brother's stuff you know what i mean so like i would i appreciate it but it but then like the next generation of bands came out and like oh that's my jam you know what i mean and so like i didn't feel as connected to them let's say but like yeah. as i get older i go back and i start digging up all these old these other bands like that was always one of those bands like oh one of these days i should go check out some stuff from the jefferson uh airplane you know back catalog but what's the quintessential thing to listen to for me the quintessential is the album crown's creation i mean as a Jack Cassidy worshiper, to just just listen to the whole album and just be tuned into the bass. <laughs> and he is the coolest looking person who's ever walked the earth. His hair, he had the headband and the glasses and, and the Guild Starfire bass. Oh my God. You know, he almost looks like a Muppet. Yeah. I mean, I love Yorma when he's with them, but the real secret weapons are the three singers who all sing very differently. Marty Ballin, Grace Slick, of course, and Paul Kantner, who's like the sci-fi weirdo comic book guy. He would probably be great on this show just to talk about Thanos or something. Well, I think he's dead. He's good. He died a few years ago, but... I mean, he was the sci-fi weirdo guy who hung out with Dave Crosby a lot, and they wrote wooden ships together. The airplane are who you, more even than the Grateful Dead, like if you're going to have a real party or a rally, you call the airplane. Because the airplane are not afraid. In fact, if you watch the footage from Altamont, you know, obviously where the Hell's Angels killed the people in the audience at, when the Stones were playing. The Grateful Dead didn't stay at Altamont. No, they didn't even play. Yeah. If you watch the footage, it's very famous in the movie where the Hell's Angels are really getting rowdy and Marty Allen hops in there to fight the Hell's Angels on his own. <laughs> I mean, come on, we need that right now. Anyway, so that was where I was feeling I, you know what's going on in portland is so difficult but i feel so proud of the moms and dads who are bringing their freaking lawn leaf blowers to fight them you know it's just yeah. like i take a lot of uh, solace that there are people out there like that you know so that was why i was thinking of the airplane uh adam the, it kind of begs the question if, if we could get them out uh, right now, I, I realize a lot of the members uh, aren't with us, but would they be called um, Jefferson Wheelchair? 
Because <laughs> they did go from yeah. the airplane to a starship, right? <laughs> Probably so. Okay. We, we can't have them at this age. We need to go back in time and bring the 1968 version. When I was uh, really young, 15 maybe, I got... <laughs> I got beat up at a hot tuna concert uh, on Long Island <laughs> by a guy who was a kickboxer, um, and I was enjoying some substances and just sitting on a car in the parking lot. And some guy comes up to me who was like 21, was like older than me, and just uh, long story. But anyway, so that I might I might kind of hold that against. Um, some of the guys and I would too. I, I would hold that against hot tuna too. That's not good. <laughs> and it was due to a girl, but, but we all knew that, right? I that mean, was you didn't need to say it. Yeah. Anyway, I hope I convinced you that you know, give the airplane a fair share in the context of what is happening with the country right now. It has to be in context. Fantastic. I'm I'm convinced. Ooh. And it actually uh, leads nicely into the third and last convincing of this show, my convincing, because I'm here, again, you were talking about 1967, 1968. I'm here to convince you, not of one artist or one album, but I'm here to convince both of you gentlemen that you could listen only to music released in 1977 and you would be happy for the rest of your life and so i made a playlist on spotify to prove this to both of you and i listened to basically the whole playlist today okay i was home i was working and doing stuff and i i dug into it and what was so funny is i had just mentioned in an email the song, the first cut is the deepest. Uh -huh. Just completely out of the blue. I don't have Cat Stevens' version. I don't have Rod Stewart's version. I just had mentioned it as, not even as a song, as a line. And then I turned this up, and that was the first song on there. Wow. And it wow. sounds amazing. Which, which very, I, I did listen to part of the place, but what was, that was the Stewart version on there? Yeah, the Rod. Yeah, yeah, that was really great. That's a great album night on the town. Well, that, there's, a, there's a couple of songs <clears throat> on that playlist that are a slight stretch because actually the first cut is the deepest is off the Rod Stewart album that came out in 1976, but it didn't get released as a single until 1977, which is the same with, incredibly, Moon Dance by Van Morrison, which is a song from 1970 that yeah. didn't come out as a single until 77. Fleetwood Mac, the Rumors album, came out in 1977. Manish Boy by Muddy Waters. Uh, Peter Gabriel's first solo album with Salisbury Hill. Asia, obviously, by Steely Dan. Uh, Marvin Gaye, got to give it up. You know, do you like Linda Ronstadt? Well, that was the year she came out with Blue Bayou. Do you like Bob Marley? Well, that was the year of Exodus. Do you like Queen? That's We Will Rock You and It's Late and We Are the Champions. Like it just goes on and on. It's Elvis Costello had his first album. Uh, if you like cheesy, terrible music, uh, ABBA's album uh, with Knowing Me, Knowing You came out that year. Tom Waits had a good album. Foreign Affairs. Great album. A great album. 
So I'm saying you can take 76 and go fly a kite with it. You can take 67 and just walk off a short pier because 77 is the year. Did the Clash first Clash album come out then or my Yes, and the Clash did have an album uh, that year, but it's not the most it's not the one with London calling on it. Yeah, I think it's the No, first, that's 79. Yeah, it might have been the first like the first just the Clash, you know, I think it's just called the Clash. Yeah, but well, I'm so bored in the USA that one. Yeah. And yeah, also exactly. the it's Jam's the first album too is 77. With who? Whoops. The Jam. The Jam's oh, first album. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, my God. The, the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack came out. Do you like John Williams? The Star Wars soundtrack came out <laughs> in 1977. I have not heard Draw the Line by Aerosmith since I bought the album when it came out that that day, basically. Right. <laughs> and I have not heard it since. And I heard it, I cranked it. I was like, oh my God, this is some cocaine drench shit, man. Yeah, it's really... Sorry, you, you mentioned cocaine. Cocaine came out that year. <laughs> That's right. The drug of the song by Eric Clapton. Oh. Speaking of which, how come... So there's the Eric Clapton song, which I think is a J.J. Kale song, right? Yeah. Yeah. Why is the song Cocaine a song about a drug that makes your heart jackhammer so fucking slow? <laughs> oh, Doug, the, the Sex Pistols album came out that year. Yep, never mind the bollocks. Uh, Bowie's Low came out. Yep, yes. Low came out that year. Uh, Joni Mitchell had an album that year. Don Juan's Reckless Daughter. Yeah, Don Juan's Reckless Daughter, yeah. Daryl Hall and John <laughs> Rich Girl came out that year. That's not uh, that wrong one of their strongest albums but that single is unforgettably strong it's the greatest single ever here you come again by dolly parton was a hit that year here you come again i love that song hotel california came out oh, that yeah year. the whole album hotel california yeah oh animals by pink floyd uh bad out of hell by me yes bad out of hell right also 1977 was before and after science by brian eno that's right. Wow. Um, let's not forget Cat Scratch Fever from Ted Nugent. Let's, yes, yeah. that's true. <laughs> but do you like jazz? Like, if you like jazz, uh, Bill Evans put out a new album. <laughs> Point of No Return from Kansas. Oh, wait. And uh, Johnny Thunder's uh, The Heartbreakers, like, um, like L-A-M-F. Um, oh, wow. Which has got great, 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 great. That's... Uh, just like a great proto-punk kind of uh, thing. And that album's got great stuff on it, if you haven't heard it. The first Talking Heads record is... Yep. Yes. Talking Heads 77. great. Yeah. It's so... Oh, my God. I got my first bass in 77. Wow. Like, wow. So, like, this period is so explosive for me based on... I mean, I owned every almost every album on this list. You know, and I bought them in real time. Like, I was devouring. Oh, uh, uh, Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville came out that Margaritaville, year. which is a, <laughs> I have to admit, Margaritaville is a genuine guilty pleasure song for me. Like, I actually like that song, and I feel bad for liking it. If you didn't hear it so much, like, I think everybody would like it more. You know what I mean? If it uh, wasn't, like, the bar cover song you hear a billion times and yeah 
one of my big uh, drug revelations in high school was that there was no such thing as a guilty pleasure. All right, so it seems like I have managed to convince you that if you never had to listen to anything from any other year, you might pick 1977 as your year. I would just listen to, uh, just for um, Queen's News of the World alone, I'm, I'm down. So you, you had me at News of the World, basically. Uh, I have a question that I want, like a quick answer to, if you can do it, like a quick Zoom poll that I'm going to do. Here's my three quick questions for you. What is your greatest guilty pleasure song? I don't have those songs, you know, like I said, but, you know, I will listen to anything by the Carpenters, anything by the Partridge family, anything by the DeFranco family, the Osmonds. I'm down with that. I'm sure there are many that, you know, like it, those are the songs that you, uh, I would also qualify them as the songs that if you were blasting them on the radio and somebody pulled up next to you, you'd have to roll the windows up. Yes. Yes. But I can't, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but one like really weird offbeat bizarro guilty pleasure would be the, um, the Bugsy Malone soundtrack that Paul Williams did. Um, that is amazing. It's amazing. Amazing. It's so flipping good. It's like a crash course in songwriting. It's just so good. But like, it's a strange thing to be listening to. What would yours be? Well, I mentioned Margaritaville earlier, which is true, but it's a little... I, I really love this song, Aaliyah by Donny Iris. And it's just, it's not a great song, but I just love it. I love it. I could listen to it all day. <laughs> Here's my second question. What song makes you feel cool when you listen to it? Makes you feel cool about yourself. And I, I will give you an example. I'll tell you. Whenever I am walking around and I listen to It's All Over Now, Baby Blue by them, I just feel cooler as a person, being somebody who is listening to this right now. It just makes me feel validated, Some that song, somehow. It, it might be California Love from uh, Dr. Dre and, and uh, Tupac. I mean, I think it's yeah. technically, I, I don't know who's... Who gets who's that? Who that song is listed under? California Love. Yeah, I mean that's I, I yeah I, I'm I can say I'm sure there's like hundreds of others, but that's one that might come to mind immediately. It's good. You know, anything by Paul Weller. I mean, because for me, he is the coolest by far. That's my guy. Solo or jam or any or anything. Either. I'm into everything. Okay. I mean, unless the style council, it doesn't hold up as well, but I love the jam. Mary recently bought me uh, sound effects on vinyl, a brand new copy, and it, it is so happening. Final question. Yeah. Is there any song by Hall & Oates that you 100% love? Oh, my God. Lots of them. Uh, so many. Go ahead, Sam. <laughs> I just we just saw them in Tears for Fears in uh, a couple of years ago in uh, Forest Hills. I, I can't go for that. Jeez, uh, um, there's so there's so many, and I'd have to like go tear through to a list to, to give you the the ultimate one. But uh, I think it's I can't for me. I think it's I can't go for that. But it might be Rich Girl. 
Abandoned Luncheonette is their second record, I think. And it's a complete masterwork. What song, is, what song stands out? Um, oh, what's their biggest early hit? She's Gone is on that. Uh-huh. I mean, that album is very different from their later stuff, which I love. I mean, it's like a Philly soul classic record. Every song is incredible. It's really early. It's so good. If, if you haven't seen the video for She's Gone, you, you're missing, you're seriously missing some of the, it's, it's just the two of them in like chairs. It's like the most cheesy, um, like under, underproduced video. And like, um, and it'll be like, she's gone, you know, take the devil to replace her. And like some girl walks by in like a devil costume. It's like total C and say. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, oh, it's so bad that it's amazing. Well, this is great. Thank you for uh, convincing us of all these of all these things tonight. I enjoyed the hell out of this episode. It was uh, exactly what I needed, get escaping the confines of COVID today. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, talking, talking about music is uh, much better than dealing with, uh, as we Italians refer to, the Michigas uh, going on outside. All right. Thanks, Sam. Hi, right, kids. Be good. I'll see you guys soon, hopefully. Thanks so much again to Sam Mestandrea for being here and to our friends of the show, Margaret Bost, Acadia Bost, Brian Galyubov, Becky Goodman, Roland Landry, and Joseph Montoya.